You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yeah, Tommy's here. Aaron's here. Tommy's joining us by phone. We missed him yesterday because you uh, attended the Steven Strasburg press conference. I like him, man. I don't know how people feel about him and what the media people feel about him. But I just I, I love him as a player, and I just think that he is come into his own as sort of a communicator. What did you think being there? Oh, I mean, I wrote in the Washington Times, if you can humanize a $245 million contract, yeah. he managed to do it yesterday. I mean, the things he spoke about, you know, this is where he became a father, this is where he became a husband. I've always liked Strasburg, but I've always had a good relationship with him. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm like one of the more familiar faces that he's seen around here since he got here. So I've always had good conversations with him, and I knew that he was a thoughtful guy, but it just needed to come out. Uh, and this year, it just poured out. Um, you know, he, he's, he's very thoughtful in his responses, and uh, I thought he did a great job in, in, in the press conference talking about, you know, what it means to him to, to be here in, in Washington. And I just hope he stays healthy because if he does, I think he's, he is going to continue to be a great pitcher. You know, he said something, too, during that press conference that struck me as this is why, and I've said this to you before over the years, they're young, we got to give it time. They're young. I mean, 21 years old, 20, whatever it is. And he said, looking back on 2009, it was a little nerve-wracking, to be honest. I was a San Diego guy. I really didn't know what the East Coast had to offer. Um, but the Nationals were there from the beginning. I became a father. I became a husband as a National. I've grown with this organization, as you just said. But, you know, he admitted to, you know, being young and it being ner- him being nervous and probably even a little bit homesick, you know, that he hadn't lived outside of the, you know, of the Southern California area, you know, and, and coming all the way east. It's like, and I know that, you know, it's it's easy sometimes, and some of these younger players sometimes make it easy for us um, in the media and even fans to be critical. But, God, sometimes it's just a result. And I'm not saying he behaved poorly because he didn't. But right. sometimes it's just a result of them being 20 years old and 21 years old, 22 years old. I mean, the things that you thought and did at 21, 22, probably looking back on them, weren't very impressive either. Well, actually, by the time I hit 21, by the time I hit 22, and here it comes. I had seen and done everything. <laughs> yeah, so I know. I, yeah. at that point, uh, I was I was pretty mature because I had survived. But, uh, look, you're right. And he's been, he's talked before about how previously he didn't handle things when things went wrong. He didn't handle them well. He had said that. He has basically, you know, opened himself up to saying, yeah, I was, you know, I was easily rattled if things didn't go right. And, and, but he's a different guy. He's learned, he talks about, you know, going through the storm. He's mentioned it a couple of times, and and to learn to to weather the storms, and that's what he's he's learned to deal with adversity, and uh, he's you know he's convinced himself that that it it, it can it can make him stronger. Like I wrote in the column, 
I was I was with him in the clubhouse when he was getting ready to do his press conference in August 2009 on the field after he had finally signed with the Nationals. Yeah. And he walked down that tunnel like a guy walking to the electric chair. <laughs> yeah. He was so scared and yeah. so uptight. Uh, so I've, I've seen him from the beginning. And uh, I love the way he changed it. Like I said, now let's not kid each ourselves. It's $245 million. But you sort of forgot about that yesterday when Strasburg was talking about what it meant to him and his family. Yeah, you know, it's funny on the money thing. Um, when these guys sign these massive contracts and you see their introductory press conferences, at that point, you know, I don't I don't know, maybe I, I've just become numb to the money um, and how much it is and how completely um, set they are and generations to come are and their family are because of the deal they just signed. A- as a complete switch of subjects, but still on the Nats, I haven't mentioned this actually on the podcast or the radio show this week but um as you were um as we were talking about Strasburg and his love and his acquired love and taste for Washington over the years Anthony Rendon is obviously gone he's going to LA to play with the Angels and I did read something the other day and I've sort of had it sitting here and I just haven't gotten to it did you hear him over the weekend explain why he didn't go to the White House and what his true intentions were about the White House? Because there was a lot of speculation as to why a lot of those players weren't at the White House, Anthony Rendon included. Did you see that or not? Was this the story where he felt that Trump stiffed him in a golf in a golf match? No. Well, Yes, that. But but that. I mean, that, it was, but it that was, was that that was that was, that was not why he actually missed. He added that in the story, but okay. he but he said during his introduction, somebody asked him why he wasn't at the White House, and he said, "quote I wanted to go so bad. Obviously, being from Texas, I think you guys know which views we lean towards." Closed quote. And then he went on to explain that. Um, he was told that the White House visit wasn't going to be until a later day, like a day or two later, and he and his wife um, were already scheduled um, to fly back. So he, he, he wasn't around. Um, he thought it was happening um, a little bit later uh, than it actually happened. So anyway, I think that's the way it was, or maybe I got that mixed up. Maybe he thought it was happening right after the parade, and then it ended up happening a few days later. No, you had it right the first time. I had it right the first time. Okay. Whatever it was, it was a scheduling thing, which is why he couldn't make it. And then he did add that he was supposed to play uh, golf with Trump and Ryan Zimmerman in Strasburg in Florida during spring training. Um, But he said the president bailed on Strasburg, Zim, and I during uh, spring training. Um, So he he sort of laughed and said, so not showing up at the White House was a little payback for him. Um, But that wasn't really why he missed the White House trip. Yeah, uh, um, look, I, like I've said before, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, that multimillionaires are Trump supporters, yes. Yes, I yes. Understand. I um, mean, people have lots of money. Yeah. It, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Now, he also said why he, didn't, why he didn't even consider the Dodgers was because he didn't like that Hollywood lifestyle he referred to. Yeah. So, he, again, I've told you before, he's a very devout Christian. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure Anaheim is much more conducive to him than than downtown L.A., even though, you know, I mean, if you live in L.A. and you make the 
$35 million a year, you can live however lifestyle you want to live. Well, of course. But you know, you know, but Orange County has always been the more conservative area yes. in Los Angeles. Yes, absolutely. So maybe and, he will feel more like comfortable said, the, there. He doesn't strike me as super political. Of, but. The birthplace of, of all those megachurches yeah. that have sprung around the country started in, in Orange County. Right. So um, I wanted to tell you about something I did on radio today. It was one of those uh, ideas that you know a caller brought up yesterday, and then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, ah, oh, this this will make for a good topic. Did you listen to the show today or not? No, I didn't. Okay. So um, it was essentially somebody said yesterday during a call segment, they said, what I'd really love to see happen is I'd love to see Dan Snyder move the team and the NFL give the Redskins an expansion team. That would be incredible. And so, you know, I, I, I was curious as to how many people would agree, would, would actually accept that. You know, Dan moves the team to London or probably wouldn't move it to St. Louis, um, moves it to London, and the NFL comes right in, gives the gives D.C. an expansion team, gets uh, allows D.C. to do what Cleveland did, which is keep, you know, all of its, you know, history and colors and name and the whole thing, and maybe the city then, you know, bites on a new stadium for a new owner. And, you know, it created an incredible reaction, including from – uh, one particular caller in particular, this guy Ivan, who calls the show and has been calling the show for years, going back to when you and I did a show together, who suggested that it was sort of anti, you know, it was anti-Snyder um, talk. It was ridiculous in that my hatred of Snyder doesn't sync up with the rest of the fan bases. <laughs> and he suggested that actually people don't dislike Dan Snyder, they just dislike the results. To which I said, first of all, personally, I don't dislike Dan Snyder. I don't know Dan Snyder, so I don't know enough about him to actually dislike him or hate him personally. I hate what he's done in owning this franchise, but I made the following statement to him. I said, there is no chance that your opinion is the majority opinion. I think easily more than 50% of the fans or people that used to be the fans dislike the owner personally. What do you think? I think you could divide that percentage up into exactly the amount of Redskins fans that show up at, Fed- at Ghost Town Field on Sunday. <laughs> I think it's much greater than 50%. Well, I do, too. I think it's much greater yeah. than 50%, too. I think it's a significant yeah, majority. That's a, that's, but, but that's the, a ridiculous he, statement. He must be a relative. Well, he, he's he, – on Twitter, it was an overwhelming reaction that Ivan's you know out to lunch by himself – um, which is fine, but but here's the thing. There is a distinction, right? There's a distinction of hating what Snyder's done, you know, to this beloved treasure of a franchise and, you know, uh, this this thing that's been so good for this city and this community for so long and turning so many people off to it and ruining it, really. He's ruined it for everybody over the 20 years. And then also disliking him personally. I think people dislike him personally, too. And I'm talking about people that have no idea what he is like personally or not. I just think that there is a dislike for him personally beyond, which obviously stems from the job he's done as an owner. Yes, absolutely. I mean, people in the limited, I mean, since they don't know him personally, in the public information they have, they have a guy who sued old women, uh, old widows for season tickets. Even if it wasn't him, 
if it was some guy in the organization whose idea that was. Yeah. I mean, they, they have the guy who tried to cut down trees, uh, 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 you know, with the National Park Service to get a better view of the river from his house. They have enough. They have the guy who sued the city paper because he didn't like the way he was portrayed in that story. There is more than enough, uh, as they say in Law and Order, circumstantial evidence to dislike Dan Snyder personally. And, you know, he's not interested, apparently, in changing that narrative. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know if he's interested in changing that narrative or not. I don't know why you would absolutely be convinced that he's not up at nights, you know, hating the way people think about him because he's got to he's got to feel some of that. He's got to feel some of that. But to your point, and I made the point, it's not just the results on the field. It's the off-putting way in which he has run the organization. It's been an embarrassment beyond the results. And there are people and many out there that don't want to see him win because they don't want to see him, you know, have success at this point because they dislike him personally. Um, I believe that to be true. Um, most people agreed. I, it sounds like you agree. Um, but, you know, yes. to your point, I, I think, you know, this, um, well, th- this is the, th- this was the sort of the overarching point. Um, that I, I made on the show today because I think it's the most important point. You know, if they are angry at a conversation like the one I had this morning on radio or hashtag sell the team or hashtag fire Bruce Allen or hashtag don't go to the games, you know, if they're angry about that, well, they're, they're misguided because what they really should be focused on is taking the emotion out of that and wondering why people like me feel the way that we do, how we got to this point of having something in our lives that was so important, something we loved so much, was part of sort of our identity in many ways, and many, many have essentially said, good riddance. Like, they should be more focused on how people got to the point where these conversations are taking place because maybe at that point they can begin to try to fix it. But they have to understand what they've done to get people like me into the position where we can have a conversation, a serious conversation, about would you be okay if they left town and you got an expansion team? Which, by the way, the majority of people said, I'll sign up for that today. Or why people hashtag sell the team or hashtag move the team or hashtag fire yourself or fire Bruce Allen. You know, Tressway made the Pro Bowl and they put something out on Twitter. Go read the responses to that and tell me that people are just, just upset with the results. It's more than that. It's become personal with a lot of people. Whether they know these people personally or not, it's become personal. Um, but the way the, the organization handles these kinds of things is instructive because in the past they've either missed the fact that people feel this way or they've been so arrogant to believe that we're all wrong and they're right. This is something that I've spoken to before. It seems like such a simple concept, but it's the essence of being a good owner in sports. The most important question an owner needs to ask themselves every day is what's the most important thing for my organization? In other words, he, Bruce Allen may be his friend, but what's the 
the most important thing for the organization for Bruce Allen to be gone. So the owner needs to say, it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what my personal feelings think. What's the best thing for the Redskins? And I don't think he ever asked himself that question. I think he, he, just, he just satisfies his own whims. Yeah, um, it, it's it's remarkable. I it's, uh, I think I asked Adam Kilgore this back in the um, end of summer, right when the season started, uh, when he wrote that story in the Post about um, about Snyder. And you know, I, I said, you know, have the does anybody tell you? Have you asked the question? Has anybody sort of explained if he's getting any joy out of owning this team? Like, I just can't imagine that this isn't miserable for him right now. You know, but again, what we know from afar, I would venture to say he's a joyless person. I would venture to say that about him, that he's a joyless I don't, person. I don't think that's true, actually. I don't. I, I, don't think okay. that that, I don't think that's true at all. I think that there is a lot of joy, especially when he's on that boat in beautiful locales around the world. Um so but I, that's not what brings you true joy. That's not what brings you true joy, and I don't think. I, well, I, 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 I don't, person. I don't, I don't know, and I couldn't speak to him not being a family man and getting joy out of his family and the people that he loves. I, I could never say that. In fact, if I guessed, I would guess that he, he, he gets joy out of his family and that he has, uh, you know, that that is a, a very important thing for him from people that know him. Um, who say that he is, uh, you know, tends to be very family oriented, but uh, whatever. That, you know, we, we, neither one of us knows for it. sure. No, I said based on what we know from afar. Yeah, okay. I would make that conclusion. Listen, family was very important to Michael Corleone. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. That, I mean, the two was, things. Yeah. The two things are are not, are not separate from each other. It's interesting about the expansion franchise. I mean, my my point is is that you can get joy from your family, and I, and, and I would bet that he probably does, and you're saying that he's joyless. But go ahead. Right. Uh, the one thing about an expansion franchise that would be definitely a benefit, uh, if the NFL said, yes, we'll give you an expansion franchise to replace the Redskins, but you need to build a stadium, that stadium would then finally get built. Right. Yes, I mentioned that yes. this morning, and I mentioned you know the conversations that you and I have had, um, and your belief that it's not going to get built, and that land isn't going to be provided, even if he chooses to pay for it himself, and that they're going to be playing at FedEx Field in Landover for for the foreseeable future um, with no stadium deal. And yes, if you had a new owner. Um, perhaps that could get accelerated with the jurisdictions around here because they don't want to deal with Dan Snyder. Now, with that said, the whole conversation, I did, I did point out that there's no guarantee that you're going to end up with something much better, but you are probably guaranteed that it won't be any worse than it's been. No, no. I think you're, you're absolutely that. I mean... And, and the thing about the expansion franchise is not just dealing with a new owner, is then you have the real threat of not having a football team here. That's, that would be the threat that would force the jurisdictions to come to the table. Is the NFL said, yeah, we'll put an expansion team here, but you've got to provide a stadium. That's the threat that would, that would accelerate the stadium. Right. Even before you knew who the, who the owner was, 
that that you were dealing with. But you're right. It it, it, it would. I mean, it would it would be hard to be worse. It would just it would just be difficult to imagine to be worse. But you know what? None of this is going to happen. He's not moving the team. Of course, they're not. Letting of course, the Redskins, one of the charter uh, legacy franchises in the league, move. Yeah, it's not. And that was prefaced prior to the conversation. Again, to me, the real importance of conversations like these is to reflect just how bad it's gotten. You don't have conversations like these with lots of people participating and actually believing that they would prefer that without it getting to a point where it's really bad. And this is something that should be instructive and not taken emotionally by the team. It's one of those things, Tommy, where it's like, you know, they they might be angry about some of these hashtags that are out there. Hey, don't be angry. Ask yourself why people who loved you at one point in time, who spent lots of money on you at one point in time, who were totally loyal to you at one point in time, are no longer that way. That's what you have to learn from. Because if you don't learn from that, and you don't admit that that's actually a reality and your reality, you'll never have a chance to fix it. Never. But that is the reality, that the significant majority of the fan base doesn't feel uh, very good about anything regarding this franchise. And because of it, their habits, their consumer habits with respect to this team have changed significantly. And with some of those people, even if you win, you won't get them back. I think you'll get a lot of them back if you win. Um, But most people in that position don't believe that you'll ever win. And why would they? You've got 20 years. This is is always my point. Yeah, a lot of people will will come back. A lot of people will root for the Redskins if they win. But you've lost some people. There's, there's, there's a segment of, of the fan base that you've lost who aren't coming back. Is it, is it the majority? No, of course not. But you've lost some fans. And, and you know what? These days, teams can't afford to lose fans. No, they can't. You just can't afford to. All right, so um, did you want to weigh in on the stuff that I spent time on yesterday, the Les Carpenter piece, the um, standing stuff on Haskins, um, just refreshing everybody's memory on yesterday, Carpenter had a piece in the Post where basically he described something that we've all been talking about for two months, which is sort of the new relationship or lack thereof between Bruce and Dan. But he also had in his story um, yesterday uh, the line where multiple sources told him um, that uh, people with knowledge of the situation say Snyder has not yet made a decision on Allen's future with the team. That was the Les Carpenter piece. And then the standing piece said that the relationship between Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins was not a warm relationship and concerns over Haskins' maturity um, were an issue in Columbus. Did you want to weigh in on any of that? Well, uh, it's December 18th. And Bruce Allen is still in the building. So uh, his exit hasn't happened as quickly as some people thought it would, would happen. I, you know, they're, they're, this, this is one of the most conflicted things that I have to have an opinion on. Because there's part of me that can't fathom how he, Dan Snyder would move forward with Bruce Allen there. Right. I just can't fathom it. So stick with that. But, but no, but... but, but but there's the other part of me that, you know, that deals with the reality 
that I couldn't fathom it before, and he's still here. Yeah, this is this is a new level of low, though. I guess it is. I, I guess it's a, a new level of, of, of low. But uh, you know, the, I, I, last week at, at, at Ghost Town Field, the Philly fans—I don't know why—it's it's been worse in numbers, but it just seemed worse. It seemed the worst. It's ever been because it was so loud every time the Eagles did something, and it was so silent every time the Redskins did something. I don't remember it being that well, dramatic. Well, last, last year's season finale was that. Well, no, I was there at the season finale. Yeah, it I'm was. I'm telling it was... you. I'm telling you the the level of, of, of the, the 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 contrast. In, in, in level of, of, of interest, you know, in terms of noise, was the most dramatic I've ever heard. The most. Um, back to what you said. I understand the feeling. It's the same feeling I have. It's like I can't fathom how he could possibly trot Bruce Allen back out uh, for another offseason and season of being the team president if he really understood what his customer base or what's remaining of it thought of Bruce Allen. Um, but I felt the same way last year, so I'm conflicted as well. But I've just, I think, I, I've gotten to the point where I've, I've heard the same things from people that I actually have some level of confidence in. I've heard it a little bit stronger. And then that combined with, come on, people. Anybody looking at this thing, not even not knowing anything about the history, would say, well, this is a slam dunk. Like you, there, the record, the reaction from the customers, um, there's no possible way. Like it would almost be a total middle finger to what's left of the fan base, which it would be. Yes. Why would anybody do that? Well, it, some somebody who who likes sticking his middle finger up in the air, like would do that. <laughs> you respect that? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, people. Some people double down uh, uh, when 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 they're uh, basically under attack, and uh, so I think it's perfectly feasible that Bruce Allen could continue here and 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 still be here, especially. You know, I tell you, uh, you know, if if they had beaten Philly, we be, might be having a different conversation because they can win out now. Um, they could beat the Giants. And they could beat the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, the problem with, you know, down the stretch here has been winning, you know, uh, gives them at least a crack, um, you know, in the door. If it had been shut or if it was almost shut, it opens it back up to, you know what, maybe you were right. and Maybe Callahan is the right guy and maybe we are, you know, really close. Look at the way they've played down the stretch and. And then you just have to, you know, then remind everybody you beat three backup quarterbacks, three bad teams. And the games yeah. that you were close in, uh, you know, give you an A for effort, which I have. And I, I've credited Callahan for, you know, a team that's really fought hard and, by the way, improved, which is always, in my mind's eye, one of the, one of the things you look for when you're trying to identify whether or not a team was well coached. Did they get better and play their best football or basketball or whatever at the end of the year? And there's no doubt that this team is. However, yeah. however, it's not 
a winning combination. It's not bringing these people back. We're going to have the same conversation a year from now. But yes, you beat the Giants, you beat the Cowboys, and now all of a sudden it's, you know, what is it? It's four of the final six, and the two you lost, you had a chance to win, and Callahan's record's five and six, and, you know, and you you those delusional people out there could make the case that they're that they're close that they they've got a damn good culture and they don't want to move yeah. off of it with a new group so yeah anything's yeah. In, everything's in play Tommy especially when your leader is by all accounts someone who is impulsive and changes his mind pretty frequently yeah what about urban meyer as the general manager no I, I, I don't see that. Are you, are you seeing – why are you seeing that? Because somebody tweeted out that this Chris, guy Chris, – Chris Spielman said that – who played uh, at Ohio State years ago. Many years ago. Has yeah. Connections there, yeah, has connections there, obviously. Said Urban Meyer, if returns to football, will be in the NFL, but it won't be as a coach. It will be as an executive. Hmm. I don't know anything about that. Okay. I don't. I, I haven't heard anything to to that. I end. don't think. I I don't think um, fans would 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 like that. I think fans would be angry that we wanted you to coach. We didn't want you to run the team. I think that would be the reaction from fans if Urban Meyer was somehow hired to run the Redskins. I think there'd be a large segment of the fan base saying, "No, wrong job." We wanted you. To uh, be that a coach. might be true, but there'd be enough people, and I would be included, that I would certainly be intrigued by it because I think he's a brilliant football mind, and I think that he's always been that, and I think he's also, um, you know, uh, he's a leader. Like you've seen that in multiple spots. He's won everywhere he's gone as a coach, where he's essentially also run the entirety of the football program and the recruiting. I, I think it would be interesting. It would be interesting. And let me point out. Let me point out. I hope that relationship the Redskins have with Inova is strong because Urban Meyer made a few trips to the hospital over his years as, as a coach. Yes. And, and <laughs> that will be tested if he comes to work for this organization. I know. Well, maybe, maybe the pressure of being the team president slash GM would be less of a toll on the old ticker than being a head coach. Who knows? Maybe. Um, let me quickly do a read. And what for, about? Okay. You go know, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. What did you want to get, get to? Uh, yeah. What about the Dwayne Haskins thing? You want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I said if you want to weigh in on that, go ahead. I talked about yeah. it yesterday, but, uh, but essentially, I, I, you know, it was good reporting. It was a, a really good nugget from from uh, from Ben on the relationship he's between. Con- he's, he's very connected. I, I mean, you know, shouldn't be surprised. This is a guy who gets his his mock. Draft. Oh yeah, he's been right. brilliant. Ben's a yeah. hu- Ben's a hustler, and Ben's got a lot of relationships with agents in yeah. particular, a lot. But go yeah. ahead. So, so he's he's very plugged in. Yeah. Uh, look again, you know, I, I've taken a lot of heat over my criticism of Dwayne Haskins, and I wrote uh, Sunday for Monday about how you know, well now now we are definitely in the Dwayne Haskins era because he plays so well. There's no turning back now. He did play well uh, on Sunday, and I gave him credit for that. My issues with Haskins have always been non-football issues. They've always been the stuff that, 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 we, that he's shown from the time he wanted to wear number seven. You know, I don't go through the whole thing. So his, his maturity, the, 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 his, his, 
sort of like self-absorption. Those, those are my issues and have always been my issues with Dwayne Haskins. I don't know if he can play quarterback in the NFL, but he certainly looked like he could last Sunday. Um, you know, I don't go through his Twitter handle, but as you started to talk about him, I figured I'd, I'd get up to speed on all of it. Cause I, th- I thought you were going to drop something on me on, on, so on, on his social yeah. media for the week. Did he, um, retweet what were his, what were his, uh, pro football focus numbers? Where was his ranking? I don't, to, uh, will you look that up, Aaron? Because it had to be really good from Sunday. I mean, hell, if he was third in the league after the game against the, uh, pack, uh against the, um, Panthers, he had to be uh, much higher, but he he did retweet some stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, whatever. I but that that speaks to that speaks to his issues at Ohio State. Yeah, that Ben was talking maturity. about maturity. Okay, there are a lot. Yeah, a lot of these guys maturity. are immature. It may be maturity, but it may be who he is. It's not always maturity. I n- I understand that. It it could be who he is. It, it absolutely could be, and we'll find out. As you just pointed out, we're in the Dwayne Haskins business now, which I was ready yeah. for anyway and predicted anyway. And I, as you know, I've been I think a little bit more bullish on his prospects as playing the quarterback position in the NFL um, through the first five starts than most. And I, it wasn't that I was like super um, feeling vindicated or feeling like. Um, you know, I'm on the right path from Sunday's performance because I was expecting something like that to come. I don't, it, but it, but Sunday's performance had some bad in it too. It was it was not an A plus game. It was more like a B plus game. But it was his best game all around. Um, ultimately, we're going to see more games like that. This guy clearly is progressing from. Uh, in terms of playing the position physically and mentally. You can see that week in and week out, and then he's got the the certain intangibles, and he may have some things that, that, that are going to work against him. But he's gotten he's got the intangibles of being a tough competitor, being a guy that doesn't get rattled, being a guy that has some poise you know, out there, and it appears as if he's also coachable because he's made a lot of progress. Over these six starts, yes. what was his ranking? Uh, Dwayne Haskins had a was graded with as a sixty-five, which was eighteenth best in the league. Oh, okay. So eighteenth. How was he third against Carolina and eighteenth on Sunday? I don't know. I don't know either. Now um, remember, he he was he was last according to another uh, website that used analytics in that after that Carolina game. That showed the absurdity of these websites. I know, complete absurdity. Um, yeah. All right, let me do a quick read for um, uh, stamps.com, and then I want to get to uh, the Drew Brees conversation that I want to have with you here. Um, first of all, when I talk about stamps.com, um, I am wondering uh, who still goes to the post office and why when stamps.com is an option for you. You don't need to interrupt your workday to fight traffic to get to the post office, especially during this time of year, during the holidays when the post office is busy. You walk into a post office today, you're going to be waiting in line. That's why you need stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do with stamps.com. It eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Here's how you do it. You simply use your computer. You print official U.S. postage 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail. If you're a small business sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products, this is perfect for you. Over 700,000 small businesses are already using stamps.com. You get five cents off every first class stamp and you get 40% off 
Priority Mail. Now, over uh, this time of year and into the first part of 2020, if you sign up for Stamps.com and you use my promo code, KevinDC, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts required. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in KevinDC. That's Stamps.com, Kevin DC. So off of the Drew Brees performance the Kevin, other night. Yes. Kevin, can I can I just uh, add one thing because I want to go on the record with it if I can. Yes. Okay. You remember at the beginning of the year I made a prediction that the quarterback who played for the Redskins at the end of the year wasn't even on the roster yet. Yeah. Well, that's going to turn out to be very wrong. Right. <laughs> uh, and I just want to give credit where credit is due. This, I figured that the offensive line, particularly with, with Trent Williams not there, was not going to be able to protect any of these guys. And they, you know, that group has played well, I think, for the most part. I think they played better than anyone expected uh, at, at, at this point. And uh, I want to give them credit for that. Uh, they, I think that they were better. They, they didn't collapse with the absence of Trent Williams. They managed to patch something together. I think this goes to Bill Callahan, to be honest with you. And they found a guard in Eric Flowers that everybody laughed at. Uh, it was almost out of the league. And that goes to Bill Callahan, too, as well. He was, he's always been convinced, I've heard, that Eric Flowers in the right position could succeed. So I just want to go on record, giving them credit for, for, you know, for first of all, for me being wrong. Uh, you know, I, I mean, these don't happen very often, so I like to make sure they're noticed when they are. And then uh, uh, wow. for Phil Callahan for doing such a great job I, in, in coaching this offensive lineup. Uh, that's that's stunning to me. Um, you rarely remember the predictions that don't turn out right. Um, and you know what? You you I mean, they still have two games left. I mean. Three quarterbacks could go down this Sunday. They might have to sign somebody to finish up the season in Dallas. It's not even over yet. You usually don't give up on this stuff that early. But um, uh, good for you. Um, props to you for finally coming uh, clean on something that you got wrong. It doesn't happen very often, people, um, that Tommy does that. Now, I, I do want to mention about Brandon Sheriff in the offensive line. How the hell did Brandon Sheriff make the Pro Bowl? Seriously. First of all, he's, he's on injured reserve. Secondly, he has not had a great year by any account. Yeah. All Redskin fans can agree that that was a bit of a shocker to see Brandon Sheriff on the Pro Bowl team. Tressway, good for him. He totally deserved it. He's been the best punter all season long. He's had some really good years here. Uh, Brandon Sheriff being on the Pro Bowl team is a joke. He's on injured reserve, and, and that brings up a whole other conversation about what they're going to do with him in the offseason, um, which we can have uh, at a later time. But this Pro Bowl thing is such a joke when you consider it just from this perspective. Forget about who's voting on the Pro Bowl and players you know, uh, voting for people they like or people with reputations, etc. Why do you announce a Pro Bowl team with still two weeks left in the season? Two of the most important weeks of the season with a lot of huge games where certain guys are going to step up and play really well and certain guys are not going to play well. 
I'd like to know, and I don't know if I've ever seen an explanation as to why the NFL reveals its Pro Bowl roster with still two weeks left in the season, two full weeks to play, two games left for everybody. I don't, I don't understand that at all, unless it's somehow to prepare travel-wise for Hawaii. I don't get it. And then, Tommy, they have a list of alternates and second alternates and third alternates. and four. The Redskins have a first alternate in Landon Collins and a fourth alternate in Matt Ioannidis, which I would – Matt Ioannidis had as good a year as anybody had on this roster. So I don't – you know, it must be the position and the depth of really good performers at that, at that position. But the NFL should fix this. Name the Pro Bowl team when the regular season ends, please. Can we see these players well, for two more weeks? There's no fixing the Pro Bowl. It just can't be done. I, I understand you know? that, but it's the uh, it's the recognition of being a Pro Bowler. I don't care about the game. The game is irrelevant. It's that a lot of people put a lot of stock into who was named Pro Bowler and who wasn't. Now, All-Pro is much more meaningful to me yes. than is the Pro yes, Bowl. But the Pro Bowl still has some cachet to it. How about naming the roster when the season ends? I mean, is, is that that hard? Did you read the Redskins uh, press release on their, their guys making the Pro Bowl? I just saw the this tweets is, and the reaction oh, to the no, tweets. This, this, this is my favorite part. What? In case you're, you're looking to get rid of Bruce Allen, you need to read this part. Including two selections last season, the Redskins have now produced at least two Pro Bowl players in four consecutive <laughs> seasons. Really? For the first time since the 2007-2010 campaign. Oh, so God. there you go, buddy. Mm. And you want to get rid of the guy that has produced two Pro Bowl players? In four consecutive seasons? Can you imagine if somebody told Dan Snyder that or Dan read the press release and said, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> four straight years of two Pro Bowlers? Yeah. Jesus. Okay, hold on Meanwhile, for a second. What about that thing where I was telling you that we got to fire Bruce? Uh, we got to sit down and, and, and go through the pros cons list again. Because on the pros list is two Pro Bowlers for four consecutive seasons. What a yeah. job they are doing. Yes, that that's right in the middle of the press release. Oh, and by man. the way, I might want to point out. Point out, I might. Yeah, point it out. The, the Baltimore Ravens have twelve players in the Pro Bowl. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, okay, so, you want to talk about Drew Brees? Yeah, I want to talk about Drew Brees because off of the performance the other night, which really was amazing, twenty nine of thirty, the highest completion percentage in NFL history for I think over twenty attempts in a game, 307 yards, four touchdowns. He set the all-time in a past, uh, passing mark for touchdowns. Brady's three behind him, still playing. Um, but anyway, um, you know, he set the yardage mark last year in the game against the Redskins when he passed Peyton Manning, which Brady did later in the season as well. Um, he's like 2,000-plus yards ahead of Brady on the yardage list. But it sparked a conversation yesterday in a lot of different places. I watched, uh, I heard a lot of it on TV in particular during the afternoon hours about Drew Brees and where he falls on the all-time greatest list. And a lot of people are saying, look, he's number one in yardage, he's number one in touchdowns, he's number one in completion percentage. He's the guy. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. 
And I just sort of laughed at that and immediately said, well, I got to talk about this on the radio show, which I did, and I want to talk about it with you. But before we get to Breeze, I, I wanted to say that I know that you, you know, are going to consider some of the old timers. You know, you've always spoken very highly of Otto Graham. You know, um, I didn't see Otto Graham play. I didn't see Sammy Ball play or Norm Van Brocklin or Sid Luckman or Y.A. Tittle. I saw very little of Unitas' career, you know, the, the real productive part of his career. So I can only put together a list of players that I saw. But let's start with the Breeze conversation. I have him on my list at number seven, and I'm going to give you the top six. Brady, Elway, Manning, Marino, Montana, Rodgers, and then I get to Breeze. Where do you have Breeze on your list? You know, I would have, uh, I would switch that list around a little bit, and I would have Johnny United and Montana. You have Montana, right? Yeah, Montana at number five. Yeah. I would have Johnny United up in that list as well before Breeze. And I would, I would put Breeze ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but, but this whole idea of, He's got the most yards, you know, the most numbers. Look, when Fran Tarkenton retired, he had the most of everything. Right. And nobody thought that he was a better quarterback than Johnny Unitas at the time or any of the quarter or, or, or some of the – or Sonny Jurgensen, for that matter, uh, you know, even though he, he held the record for everything. So, I mean, you can't get caught up, uh, particularly when you're comparing errors in, in, in these records things. But I, w- I would have – I would have Reese about seventh on my list. I would just have Unitas in the top six. You know, so when we've had these conversations before, they are much more, the, the conversations I've had with you versus others, much more about what we saw and what we watched and what we think without a lot of the numbers involved, which, you know, a lot of people get the numbers involved and and then a lot of people put a hell of a lot of weight on winning Super Bowls versus not. Um, That's why a lot of people don't have Marino as high as I have Marino. Um, You know, some people don't have Manning that high because of his overall playoff record and how many playoff games he lost. You know, before those Denver years, he had a losing playoff record um, and came up super short in games where he didn't play well at home as a number one seed with home field advantage throughout, you know, and then you take a guy like Breeze and, you know, Breeze, you know, you, you watch him and you're like, boy, that what a system Sean Payton's put together. Breeze is great. He's a top 10 guy, no doubt. Um, but those that would have him higher would say, you know, in the last two years, he should have been in a Super Bowl if not for the the worst missed call in postseason history. And, they, you know, the Minneapolis miracle, the bomb from Case Keenum to, uh, to Stefan Diggs, you know, that knocked him out of a chance of potentially going to a Super Bowl as well. So if Breeze had been in the last two Super Bowls, you might think of Breeze differently. And I think that's that might be true. Um, but, you know, uh, Breeze has also been on some teams that had lousy defenses where he couldn't elevate those teams to better records. You know, John Elway elevated a lot of those Denver teams much beyond place to, and to places they should not have gone. He went to three Super Bowls with a very average team around him. And it wasn't until he got a better defense and a run game where he finally won the Super Bowl, but he got that team to three of them. But really, it was watching Elway that made me think that Elway was the greatest of all time until Brady. 
And Tommy, I also thought of this, and I want you to get to some of your thoughts on this here in a moment, and some of the guys we we may not have uh, put on the list. But you know, this off se- this postseason, excuse me, upcoming, may be Brady's biggest opportunity, even Belichick's biggest opportunity, because the the expectations for this Patriots team entering the the postseason may be the lowest I can remember. Nobody thinks that they can go to Baltimore and win. Kansas City, if they play at Arrowhead, uh, the Patriots will be uh, an underdog in that game, a significant, maybe a sizable underdog. What do you think Kansas City would be favored by at home in the divisional round over New England? Six? No. Five? Five or six? I, I think that would attract too much attention, six. What, What? Tommy? I would think six. Six or seven. Tom Tom Brady, if he goes into this postseason, for anybody that doesn't have him number one on this list, if he goes in and takes this team to the Super Bowl, that's the that that's his all time achievement. It's a great defensive team. I will I will grant you that. Just like Denver was a great defensive team when Peyton got to the Super Bowl in 2016 and won it, beating Carolina in the Super Bowl. That was not about Peyton Manning. But if he plays well and the offense plays well, this could be Brady's number one moment and number one opportunity. Not that he needs them. He's played, Tommy, he's played, he's started in 40 playoff games. He's got two and a half worth, two and a half regular seasons worth of postseason games. Yeah. No, he's the number one. Uh, that, that should be clear to anyone. I might want to point out that Tom Brady didn't make the Pro Bowl. No, he didn't. He didn't deserve to make the Pro Bowl this year. No, he did. Yeah, no, he didn't another reason that if 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 he wins and he plays well in the postseason, it's even an it, it's it, it's another incredible you know maybe a, a, a top level top three type of achievement for him if he if he plays well in the postseason and gets this team to the Super Bowl. Yeah, look, Drew Brees is in the top ten of all time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I've got him at number seven. Yeah, so I mean, I think that 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 that's. That's the basic argument. Who are your top ten? Because who's who's you know after Brady, it's really debatable as to who you know, who's two, three, four, five, six. You know, I don't see some how people you don't have, have Brady one. one. Some people have Montana one. I know, but oh, those numbers are dwindling. I mean, those numbers have have dwindled significantly. Uh, I was one of those guys uh, who, uh, previously who, who would do that. You know, some people have uh, Terry Bradshaw in the top ten because he won four Super Bowls. Yeah, I don't. Do you? No, I don't. Um, you and you know, you know, you know what Breeze's Breeze's performance the other night, twenty nine of thirty. It always reminds me when you see a performance like that of what Phil Simms did in the Super Bowl. Twenty two of twenty five. Yep. For three touchdowns and no interceptions. I mean, when you can complete that many passes and, and have that many incompletions, it just it's just really stands out. That's what stands out about Breeze's performance, twenty nine of thirty. But to do twenty two of twenty five in a Super Bowl without any interceptions, it's it's still remarkable to me. So whenever a, a, a mark like this comes along, I always think uh, of Phil Simms. But uh, you know, it's funny because we have this argument about quarterbacks. But nobody ever argues who's the greatest running back in the history of the league, do they? No. Nope. Jim no. Brown. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, these arguments are so interesting like that. 
that, uh, that, that that's non-debatable. But quarterback, because I guess, you know, I, 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 I'm not particularly – I don't know why. If there was a quarterback, maybe if, if – I mean, I don't know how anyone cannot pick Brady as their number one quarterback at this point. And Belichick. As their greatest coachable. Because there, there are a lot of things that, you know, in the argument against Brady for the greatest of all time that are reasonable. Like, you know, he started in all those playoff games and he advanced in all of those playoff seasons because they always had home field advantage because they played in one of the worst divisions over a long period of time and there was no legitimate competitor to them in their division. If you had put him into a a more competitive division, he wouldn't have had as many home field games, may not have made as many playoffs, and may not have uh, been in position to advance as easily as he did. And you also, you know, have the argument of greatest coach in history, greatest system in history, but Brady's done it with just too many people over the years. I mean, there have been too many sets of players that he's done it with and too many you know big time clutch performances in in big games in the postseason um but but the um you you made me think of something that i now forgot what i was going to say but i well you too, go too ahead. many too many average oh players. i know what it, yeah you know i mean brady so let's take randy moss out of the equation because he played with them very briefly and they didn't go to the super bowl with randy moss of all those super bowl teams uh, Tom Brady has played with one guy who's probably a Hall of Famer, and that's Rob Gronkowski. Other than that, uh, Tom Brady, you know, there's no Hall of Fame receiver. Yeah, offensively. Yeah, offensively. That's what I mean. So, so it's not. It's 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 the the no, weapons it's, that it's he has. Ma- it's Moss and no, Gronk. It's Moss and Gronk. That's it. Yeah. 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 There's there's no there's no John Stallworth or Lynn Swan or Jerry Rice or John Taylor. None of that. No. Um, you just reminded me of the wide receiver conversation, which we can have right afterwards. If you saw the wide receiver list, no art monk. But so what I was going to say is, you know, when you, when you have these debates about the greatest at a specific position of all time, there are only two positions where there seems to be no debate wide receiver with Jerry Rice. Nobody debates that ever. I don't think he, it can be debated. Jerry Rice is the the greatest wide receiver of all time, and no football fan ever debates that. And then secondly, no longtime football fan, people who remember Jim Brown's career, ever debate the running back position. It's Jim Brown and then count a few spaces to get to number two. You know, whoever the, your number two is, Emmett, you know, or, or you know, what, whatever your number two is, it's, it's a couple of spaces below Jim Brown. Every other position, including quarterback, ha, always has a debate, a big-time debate, um, including wide receiver, which I'll get to in a moment. I, I was just going to say that there are a couple of quarterbacks. You didn't mention the guy because you've, you've always mentioned Otto Graham and Paul Brown in particular as guys that have never, you know, for people my age or younger, we just don't get their greatness and that they, 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 they deserve to be. Am I right about that? You've always said that about Paul Brown. But haven't you always said that about Otto Graham as well? Not so much Otto Graham, although I'd have a no problem if somebody put Otto Graham in the top ten quarterbacks of all time based on what he'd done. He's often he there. In terms of, yeah, in, in winning championships. Paul Brown was the guy that in that NFL Network uh, top 100 uh, was the first coach name, the one that Belichick went out of his way yeah. to, to introduce 
as, as an innovator. He was such an innovator, they gave him his own franchise, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals. And he quickly turned them from an expansion team into a winner. So, yeah, I mean, but again, I mean, at this point, you just want to be in the top ten. You're right about Jerry Rice. There's no argument about Jerry Rice. Everyone's arguing about second place. It's interesting. You know, ESPN a couple of years ago, when they did one of these other top 100 greatest players of all time, they put Jerry Rice first and Jim Brown second. I know, I've seen that I, before, yeah. And I think that was just to break up the monotony of always picking Jim Brown first. So, and, and then the other thing is, as far as Jim Brown, he hasn't played in, in 50 years. I know, I know. And he's still considered the best. Right. Um, back to the quarterback thing just for a moment. So the um, I, I do think that there is some separation maybe with the top five or six and then a group that includes Breeze. Like to me, Brady, Elway, Manning, Marino, Montana are sort of – Put them in any order you want to put them in. I put them. I, I, I go Brady, Elway, Manning, Marino, Montana. But a lot of people might go Montana, Brady, or Brady, Montana, or whatever. Some people don't have Marino that high. But I think there's separation from a group that finished out my top ten, which is Drew Brees, Steve Young. I've always had Young very high, higher than most. I put Unitas in my top ten. I did not see him at his height, obviously. I do remember him in my very first memories of football being the Colts quarterback and then very sadly ending as the Chargers quarterback. I, I remember that. But I knew enough and, and remember my father and others talking about Unitas and have read enough about Unitas to know and recognize that he's probably a top ten. My number ten, Tommy, was Staubach. I, and I don't know how many top 10 Staubach ends up in. Staubach was a great quarterback and one of the all-time clutch gene quarterbacks of all time. You're right. Absolutely. A great quarterback who would have had a much longer career if he didn't serve his country uh, you know, in, in, in the Navy. I mean, he, was, he was a guy who was late to his NFL career after he did his service time. Uh, and yeah, you're right. I, I, I mean, Staubach, uh, I'd have no problem if people put Staubach in, in, in the top 10 as well. The, the interesting thing is, you know, both of us know that Sonny Jerson was probably a better quarterback than most of those guys. I think Sonny is definitely in the conversation for the top 15, top 20. I do. But, I, mean, oh, I think I think it, it, it's only because of, of lack of championship accomplishments. It's lack of lack of, of winning at all, really. Yeah, keep them out of the top ten. Yeah, but people who know quarterbacks, I know who, who know the position, they say Sonny's the best pure passer of all time. Well, I mean, our, the top ten in, in the quarterbacks that we've talked about all won much more than Sonny did, even I Marino. Know you know, Marino I was know. on a consistent winning team that was in the playoffs a hell of a lot. I know. You know, Sonny in the 60s, now it's a different deal. It's 12 games. It's then 14 games. It's fewer playoff teams. It's, you know, and we know, we know this. And, you know, NFL historians know that the teams he played on in the 60s where he was putting up outrageous numbers well ahead of his time were terrible defensive teams. Terrible. And then what really hurts Sonny in this conversation, Tommy, is that when George Allen got here, Sonny was fixing to be – 
you know, Allen's guy, even though Allen really liked Billy Kilmer, don't get me wrong, but if Sonny didn't consistently get hurt, he would have just based on it would have been obvious to Allen that they had a much better team and a much better ability to score points with Sonny than they did with Billy. But Sonny kept getting hurt and he missed out on an opportunity to, you know, in the 72 season, you know, be on a team that went to the Super Bowl. He, we, we couldn't, he got hurt in that season. And, and couldn't play on a team that went to the Super Bowl. And, you know, he came back in the next two years and, and had moments, but it was, you know, on and off because of injuries and because of a quarterback controversy. Those are the two yes. that started it in this town. Um, but, yeah, Sonny, people, NFL historians recognize Sonny's greatness and recognize yeah. that he was almost ahead of his time. I think that there are guys that we haven't mentioned. I've always... Um, I think Kurt Warner doesn't get nearly, nearly the the credit he he should get for being a great all time quarterback. Um, I'd have him somewhere in my top fifteen. Uh, I was I'm not a fan of Favre in that in that top fifteen range or Bradshaw or even Aikman. Um, but guys like Stabler to me never get enough credit when when people start talking about a top fifteen, top twenty quarterback list of all time. He was a great NFL quarterback and one of the great clutch quarterbacks of all time, too. Okay, well, Ben, if, if you're going to do that, I mean, you, you've got to include Fran Tarkenton. In I it. have Tarkington. So, Tarkington would be in my yeah. next five. He'd be in the yeah. next five. Like, Tarkington, Young, um, you know, uh, like, you know, I, I read something yesterday, and I was going to bring this up to you. Jamison Hensley, who covers the Ravens for ESPN, wrote a story yesterday that's very interesting, actually. is in It's titled, Is Lamar Jackson Putting Up the Best Season Ever at Quarterback? And in that um, story, there's a quote from Kurt Warner from the NFL Network saying, if he gets to 35 or 40 touchdown passes what he with what he's done running the ball, it has to be in the conversation of the greatest seasons ever. To me, the Marino season in 84 when he threw for over, over 5,000 yards and 48 touchdowns in an era that it, it obliterated everything in the record books. That's the greatest season I've ever seen by a starting quarterback, but... This dude, and it's in Jamison Hensley's story, he's a combination, Hensley writes, of Barry Sanders and Tom Brady in one body. <laughs> and it, it really is amazing, the season that he is putting together when you consider both the touchdown passes and the rushing yards. Yeah, it is. well, it is. It's, it's something we haven't seen before in, in terms of the combination of both of them. Uh, we haven't seen as dramatic as this before. So you think he's the hands-down MVP, Oh, right? yeah. Tommy, it's been years, years, since we've seen one player impact a game the way he impacts a game. And, in, in you know, by extension, has impacted one team's season and the landscape of the AFC and potentially the NFL. I mean, they are the favorites to win the whole thing. He's going to be the MVP. I mean, you got to go back to one of these Peyton Manning seasons, probably, where he's throwing for you know fifty plus touchdowns. To think of a season that that equals the impact that Jackson's had, that team's unstoppable because of him. I know. I just think that people shouldn't shouldn't 
fall asleep on Russell Wilson as an MVP candidate. I w- I'd have Russell Wilson right now pushing up against the top 20 of all time. I put him on my list of people that, you know, probably isn't on a list right now of the top 20 greatest of all time, but he's going to be on that list when his career's over. He's going to be way Absolutely. up on that list. Yes, he will. You know, we've probably only seen half of his career at this point. You know, so he's got a lot left. Um, you know, Roethlisberger's career has been a great career. I mean, I'm a massive Philip Rivers fan. Philip Rivers' career, to me, is Hall of Fame and top 20 all time. Um, but he really didn't have any of the postseason success like Sonny didn't. Right. No, absolutely. Anyway, um, did you see the wide receivers list that came out? The 24 finalists on the wide receivers? Yes, I did. Do you think Monk should have been on the list? No. Why? I just don't think he's one of the top 24 wide receivers of all time. I mean, you know, I mean, I know, I know he had broke the record for, for most receptions, but if I was picking a team, I, I would easily pick 25 or 30 receivers to be on my team before Art Monk. So you feel differently than you felt about Riggins. You and I were both convinced Riggins yeah, should have been on the final 24 list. I, we, we agree on that. And I, I think that Monk certainly has a case to be on this final 24 list based on some of the people that are on it, Tommy. I didn't feel as passionately about the argument as I did about Riggins. But as an example, um, I didn't see all of Charlie Joyner's career. I saw a lot of it. You know, I saw those great Charger teams, the Air Coriel teams that he was a part of. You know, Charlie Joyner, I believe I'm right about this, passed Charlie Taylor on the all-time receptions list. Taylor had passed Don Maynard um, in the uh, in '75 um, on the all-time receptions list, and then Monk passed Joyner. Um, I think Monk was a better player than Joyner. I, I I don't think James Lofton was that much better and more and more in line with you know sort of equivalent with um with Art with Art Monk. I don't think John Stallworth was better than Art Monk. I think Charlie Taylor was better than Art Monk, and I'm thankful and glad that Charlie Taylor was on this list. He deserves to be on this list. Charlie yes, Taylor is absolutely. the greatest wide receiver in Redskins history. Monk is number two. Listen, I think Roy Jefferson was a better receiver than Art Monk. Oh, come on. Roy Jefferson. Tommy, come on. Roy Jefferson? Better than Art Monk? Listen, before he got to Washington in Pittsburgh with no quarterback. Wasn't he in Baltimore, wasn't he in Baltimore too, before Washington? One year. Okay. Uh, he played most of his time with bad Steelers teams. Average per catch, 22 yards. 24 yards in his first two years. Mm-hmm. 24 yards per catch. I mean, that, 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 that's, uh, that's remarkable. 16 yards, 19 yards, uh, 16 yards, and then uh, he was traded to the Redskins. It was the secondary receiver after that on a team that wasn't a passing team. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think Roy Jefferson was, was – uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to – I wouldn't go to the grave for it, but, I mean, my point is that I don't think Art, Art Monk is a top 25 NFL receiver of all time. What about – okay, so that's one thing understood. What about some of the people that are on the list that he's not in front of? What about Charlie like Joyner? Who? You saw Charlie Joyner's career. 
I saw Charlie Joyner's career mostly. I saw most of, oh, well, I saw all of John Stallworth's career. I, I think Art Monk was a better receiver than Charlie Joyner and John Stallworth. I I think you could argue that. I, I think you definitely could argue that. Okay. Uh, well, so so maybe I don't think it's I don't think it's it's such a travesty that Art Monk is not on the list. I don't think it's a travesty either. And I was very clear yesterday to say that I don't have nearly the same passion or feeling that he was wronged like I do with Rigo. Okay, but I looked at that list and said, there are people on this list. I'm not even going to get into comparing the numbers because I don't know what the comparison of the numbers are because I know his numbers are better than Michael Irvin's, but I'd have Michael Irvin on this list before Art Monk. Michael Irvin was a better receiver than Art Monk. I don't care what the numbers are, but he was a better receiver than Charlie Joyner. He was a better receiver than John Stallworth. I think you could make the case that he was a better receiver than Chris Carter, personally. Um, so there are people on this list that I would have put Monk in front of. Now, there are people on this list I've never heard of. I had never heard of Pete Pihos from Philadelphia, and I'm a football fan. I've heard of Tom Fears and Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch and Don Hudson. I'd never heard of Pete Pyros. Had you? Oh, yes, I did. Well, of I course wrote you a did. book about the Eagles. Oh, that's right. <laughs> He's written books about every NFL team. Oh my God, I forgot about that. You wrote a book about the Eagles. Who? What teams have you written books about? Now that's it. The Orioles, the, the Orioles, the Eagles, and the Redskins. I've right. written two books about the Redskins. You know, I'm the only one who wrote the official authorized history of the Washington Redskins. I know. I know. The only know. one. Um, authorized history. I'm upset that you never out. used me as a, as a potential quote in there as a Redskin historian. Very upset about that, but I don't know that we knew each other then. Um, you know you, what? You what? know what? If, if I'd have saw you, if I saw you in a grocery store, I would have stopped you. And asked you. <laughs> so the Roy Jefferson thing is that a comparable argument, maybe to the Gary Clark? thing because you know Gary Clark's numbers are, are pretty good and in some cases better than guys are the, that are in the Hall of Fame especially if you add up all of his numbers including USFL but even his NFL numbers are comparable to some guys that are in the Hall of Fame what Gary Clark did that Art Monk didn't is his average yards per catch were probably were, well I think they were much higher than Monk's uh, I, let me look that up I know it is but I, I want to see what the difference is um Gary Clark for his career, uh, 15.5 yards per reception. Monk for his career, 13.5 yards per reception. So that's that, that that's the difference there. Roy Jefferson, yards per reception, 16.7 yards per reception. That is pretty impressive. The first two years, though, really carried him. 22, yes, 22.1 in 1965, 24.1 yards per reception in 1966. In Washington, you know, in part, in part because of the offense that they had. It was a right. run-heavy offense with Larry Brown, and it was George Allen saying be conservative, and they didn't throw for a lot of yards, but... He didn't have a season where he had more than four touchdown catches and didn't have a season with more than 43 receptions. And his yards per catch were much lower here than they were anywhere else. Yes, they were. 
Yeah. Yes, they were. Okay. Um, I think we're done with that conversation. Um, all right, let me get a word in here for mybookie.ag. Guys, if you're looking for a place to play, mybookie.ag, totally reliable. First of all, you're going to get paid if you win. Secondly, they've got quality lines. You don't have to be you don't have to worry about getting uh, bad point spreads or bad uh, money lines. Um, they, they, they're first rate in all of that. If you're looking for a place to place all kinds of exotic wagers, you want to bet futures, you want to bet in-game action, you're a big teaser better, be careful with those. Um, parlay better, they offer all of it. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code, um, and uh, you'll get right now your deposit matched halfway. So if you deposit $1,000, they'll match you up to $500. Um, if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code, K-E-V-I-N-D-C. That's Kevin DC for mybookie.ag. Um, I just wanted to mention real quickly, because I find it to be impressive, um, Aaron, I don't know if you watched any of this last night. I didn't. Um, I'll, I'll admit that I didn't see it. But, you know, I'm following college basketball because I'm a college basketball fan. And Georgetown has had, you know, how many players leave the program now in a four. week and a half? Four players leave the program in a week and a half. And they've won four consecutive games. Now, they played UMBC last night, so that's not like an impressive win. But they went on the road and beat Oklahoma State, SMU, who was undefeated. They pummeled Syracuse at home Sunday. Syracuse is not great this year. And they just beat UMBC last night for the fourth straight win. And uh, Lenardi's latest bracketology, they're in the field as an 11 seed. This would really be an incredible job if Georgetown continues to play well with a limited roster. How many players do they have that are eligible on the roster? I mean, I can't imagine that they've got more than 10 to practice with. You know, they probably brought on a couple of walk-ons. I have no idea, but you got to bring on some walk-ons when you lose that many players just so you can practice. You know, uh, I don't. It's a hell of a job. I watched their game against Syracuse, Tommy. I've said this about Patrick Ewing since he got to Georgetown. And I don't. I'm not a Georgetown fan. I don't watch a lot of their games. Um, but I've argued with Georgetown people who have told me I don't know about Patrick, and I'm like, you know what? I watch them, and they look well coached to me. And in their game against Syracuse the other day on Saturday, their zone offense against that two-three exceptional exceptional the way they run zone offense. Not every college coach runs great zone offense. They did. Um, anyway, uh, I thought it was worth uh, noting how well they've played with all of the turmoil surrounding them. I also saw this um, late yesterday. I did not see this. Uh, I understand it happened the day before. I didn't see it until yeah, late yesterday. You remember, uh, remember Mary Fenlon, who was a part of the Georgetown staff for all of those years. She was in charge of the academics with all of those players, that older woman that used to sit side by side with Big John, with Coach. Um, she passed away the other day. Um, at the age of 81. She was a fixture for Georgetown basketball for all of their glory years in the 80s. Uh, look, I mean, it, it, she was part of the legacy that helped create Georgetown basketball. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad to see that Georgetown is competitive because I think sports in this town is better when Georgetown has good basketball. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I'm I I don't root for Georgetown. I'm a Maryland guy, but I I remember the days when both of them were really good, and it was it just increased the interest. I mean, we don't have an NBA team really to root for this year. They're not any good. Um, so you know, you got Maryland ranked in the top you know five, top ten, and they'll be a fixture certainly in the top twelve, top fifteen all year long. Um, Georgetown could be a tournament team this year. It'd be an amazing feat if he gets that team to the tournament. One last thing before we go, because Aaron and I were talking about this before the show. North Carolina tonight on the road at Gonzaga. Gonzaga is the number two team in America. They're a 12.5-point underdog, and they're not ranked this week. Like, North Carolina stinks this year. Um, they lost Cole Anthony, their, the, the player, the guy that could be the freshman of the year, to injury. How many games is he out, Aaron? Four to six weeks. I don't know. It's kind of cool to see the Blue Bloods every once in a while have just a, a complete meltdown season, not be ranked, maybe not be a tournament team. I wouldn't count Carolina out. They did. They've beaten um, a couple. They beat Oregon. I know that earlier this year. They also lost to Wofford. They also lost to Wofford the other night uh, at home at Carmichael. They played that game at Carmichael. Um, but uh, Aaron loves Gonzaga tonight, Lang. Well, you got it at 10, 10 I got and it half. at 10 and a half. I don't know if I love it at 12 and a half, 13. Yeah, they're up to 12 and a half, 13. Carolina's struggling in basketball. Um, no tears shed on that one. Uh, anything else from you before we let you run? Because I'm done, too. I'm done, boss. That's all I got for you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Um, are you going to be on tomorrow with me, or w- what's the deal? What's your schedule the rest yeah, of the week? Yeah, that's, that's the plan. All right. Why don't you come on tomorrow with me, and then uh, we'll have a show on Friday that's a football Friday. If you want to wait until Friday to come on, you can do that, too. Whatever you want to do. It's your, Tommy's schedule got thrown off this week with the Strasburg press conference, which is fine. All right. Um, thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Have a great day.